Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Stay Healthy South Sound podcast, where we want to give you tips on staying healthy and even expose common myths about health and aging so you can enjoy a healthier and active life in the amazing South Sound. Brought to you by Dr. Jennifer Penrose, owner of Penrose & Associates Physical Therapy. Well, we want to welcome you to the Stay Healthy South Sound podcast. And today, Dr. Nancy Miller-Ely is with me. She's not from the Pacific Northwest, but she's helped me tremendously with her knowledge in nutrition and outcomes with patients that I had to have her on the podcast. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you, Jennifer. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. So today we're really going to cover nutrition as a strong foundation to health. And before we kind of get into that, I want to give a little bit more background about you so our listeners know a little more about you. So you have a PhD in analytical chemistry, and you did nutritional-related research for more than 25 years. I can't, I can't even fathom amount of the research and the papers you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you wrote a white paper on obesity for the White House when you served as the USDA program leader for nutrition for the U.S., Tell me a little bit more about a little any of those items there. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, my background is in analytical chemistry. I'm what some people would call an instrument jockey. I'm an atomic spectroscopist, which is really a mouthful. It means basically that I use light to be able to measure important things. Um, and so I, my focus was related to nutrition research. So when you people talk about, well, how much copper or how much chromium or how much vitamin C is in a food, That was the kind of research that I did when I was working in the lab. And then somebody got the bright idea that I should, you know, be the USDA's national program leader for nutrition for the U.S. So I left the laboratory and then went to uh, a position where I was involved with overseeing nutrition-related research for the agency. And the, the research arm of USDA is called the Agricultural Research Service. So in that capacity, I kind of learned really quickly, Jennifer, that nutrition policy is dictated by economics and politics. <laughs> and so it was interesting, but also maybe a tad bit frustrating because I could see that there were lots of really well-intentioned science people and nutritionists, chemists, researchers, but we couldn't always get what we learned through the research into uh, policy. So when I left USDA, uh, I decided I wanted to do community-based nutrition education. So like more of a grassroots kind of effort. And one of my very favorite things to do, I think you know, is to educate people, but also I love to work with health professionals such as yourself who are forward thinking and who really understand that nutrition is a foundation for health. Yeah, no, that's kind of how I stumbled into meeting you. Like, <laughs> I need more answers. I need to help more people with their overall, their health, their inflammation. And so I'm super grateful that you that that's where your journey took you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so can you tell us a little more about your, your personal journey too, with some of these topics? I think people are listeners hearing a little bit, even just on a personal note, not just your career where that took you, but just even other, other things that kind of have, you've had to deal with on a personal level with nutrition, wellness, weight loss, that kind of thing. Sure. So when I wrote the white paper on obesity for the white house, I realized that I myself was a statistic. I've lost more than 185 pounds without like gastric bypass or anything. So I did that by first giving up sugar, which is something that, you know, people really underestimate the importance of, I think sometimes many people may not know, but in the United States, the average person in a year consumes a little better than 150 pounds of sugar. And so, um, you know, that's really not your friend. It puts you in fat storage mode. And um, so when I gave up the 
the sodas and stuff, I dropped a good bit of weight. And then also when I wrote the white paper on obesity, I learned about what we call low glycemic impact eating, which is eating to stabilize your blood sugar. And that obviously had some you know, benefits as well. And then I was introduced to uh, the Nutrimetrics product uh, line and also TLS, which is our weight management program. And I realized, wow, they use these same principles that I wrote about in the white paper uh, for the White House to be able to you know, provide a scientifically uh, valid approach. And I think that's super important, Jennifer, that people appreciate that there's a lot of different ways you can lose weight. The question is, how can you lose it and keep it off, right? Because I'm sure you've seen your patients yo-yo, right? Yeah. Or they're frustrated because they've tried multiple things and nothing seems to stick. Exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So even though I worked in the nutrition field, until I was in a position that I needed to do the research for my own personal health, I didn't really get get it all right. So I got the low glycemic part right pretty quickly. But then I also realized that there was more to it. You know, um, it, it took me until I was in my late 40s to be diagnosed as being celiac. So, and I did that by doing an elimination diet, working on my own weight loss. And when I, when I did the diet, um, it's part of our TLS program, we eliminated grains and dairy. And when I reintroduced the grains, I was like, oh, I don't feel so good. And, you know, I had actually been off grains for three months and my husband took me to New York City. And I always tell people, you know, like, you're in New York, what are you going to have? You have to have a bagel, right? Right. <laughs> so I had the bagel and I got sick and I, you know, I always, you know, I thought, well, it's just the travel, you know, it's the stress, we're staying somewhere different, blah, blah, blah. So I always say being a good scientist, I got up the second morning and repeated the experiment. So I had another, <laughs> I had another half of a bagel and I was so sick that Kevin had to bring me home. And so, you know, um, my body tolerated it because I was just having small amounts of gluten. But then when I completely eliminated it for like three months and then reintroduced it, it was just enough for my body to say, oh my God, no, not this again. And so that's really how I got the preliminary indication that I was celiac. And then I had the actual testing done by a well-known gastroenterologist who happens to, to be, you know, he was at University of Maryland at the time. So that was another piece of my journey was the celiac piece. And then I would say like a third part of it was, you know, even using good best practices for weight loss. And I think I understand those principles very well. There were still a couple of things that were missing. And a lot of people don't really appreciate that weight loss has to do with inflammation. And I have multiple autoimmune challenges. And so, you know, that's a piece of the puzzle for me. I have to really work, you know, nutritionally and lifestyle wise to keep the inflammation down. But I also did some genetic testing and we offer a gene snip test, which is uh, pretty cool, which I know you've been using uh, with your family and also with your patients. And that was sort of, that's allowing me to even fine tune things more, which I'm really excited about because, you know, people don't really understand, like... <laughs> So many health professionals that I work with, I mean, not you, but others will say, oh, if people need to lose weight, they just need to eat less and move more. And if it was really just that simple, Jennifer, almost, you know, a huge percentage of people would be at their ideal weight because <laughs> people right. are willing, right? So yes. we have to get to the underlying unique things about people because it's not one size fits all. Yeah. And I think that's what, where medicine has failed some people with the whole weight loss is that it's not that simple in terms of just eat less, move more. It, I mean, it just isn't. Well, I mean, a great example is there's this one particular um, uh, thing that you can measure in blood, but I mean, it's not a normal test, but it's called adiponectin and it's a cell signaling hormone. And we know that higher levels of adiponectin reflect better heart health. And also those individuals with higher levels tend to have better body weight. 
but you know what? <laughs> I, I had to like, um, you know, really kind of not strong arm, but I had to like um, cajole my doc and be like, hey, doc, you know, think we can measure those levels? Because I know that that like potentially could be a problem. And he's like, he's a good sport. So he was willing to do it for me. Um, so we did the blood work and my levels were low. And then I, at the same time, I had the genetic testing. And guess what? I'm genetically predisposed to have low levels. So, you know, now with that information, I felt like I was better equipped to make choices that were going to support that because your genes aren't your destiny, you know, but that's great information to have. And then we can turn up the good stuff and turn down the bad stuff. Yeah, no, that's what I've enjoyed about the gene testing. It definitely gives people the power to make the right decisions, better decisions. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So let's um, just to let our listeners know what all we're covering today. So we're going to talk about nutrition as a good foundation. We're going to go over weight loss as that impacts overall health and joint health that my patients in physical therapy are often struggling with joint pain and weight loss is part of that. And then how to eat for decreasing inflammation and just how, you know, the gut dries inflammation and then nutritional recovery just after surgery and just what people really need to kind of think about with that and how we can touch on the genetic testing for just a precise approach to wellness. So those are kind of our broad topics for our listeners of where we're going today. And you did a nice job of kind of even touching on a few of those in your own personal story there. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Sure, No problem at all. So let's kind of jump into nutrition as our foundation for health. Where do you want to start with that one? Well, I mean, so one of the things that I lecture on routinely is, you know, whether or not uh, people get adequate, you know, nutrient intake from their diet. So we have something that we call essential nutrients. And those are the nutrients that you absolutely have to take in through your diet because your body can't make them. You know, your body can make some stuff, but they can't, your body can't make, for example, vitamin D. Well, it can in the sun, but it can't make, for example, vitamin C, or it can't make magnesium or chromium, et cetera. So one of the things that we know is that there's a thing called the NHANES survey. And basically the NHANES uh, survey looks at nutrient intake of individuals for, you know, America. And we call our diet the SAD diet, (laughs) Jennifer, because it stands for standard American diet. But we know that many people just are having incredible shortfalls with regard to the target intakes of nutrients. Usually when I talk about nutrient intakes, people are like, oh my gosh, Nance, what does it mean? There's DVs that are daily values. There's RDAs, which are recommended daily allowances. There are EARs, estimated adequate requirements. So honestly, it's like an alphabet soup out there. So I think that's confusing to people. But during the NHANES survey, they look for target intakes of about 20 key nutrients. And the, you know, the number one, what we call shortfall nutrient is vitamin D. And what I can tell you is that more than about 95% of people do not hit the intake target of, for vitamin D and, you know, isn't that crazy? And guess what? If if that, that target, that EAR, if you hit it, Jennifer, you have a 50, 50 chance that it's enough. So even the, I mean, they're not hitting it, but even if they did, they'd only have a 50, 50 chance. And that's not a bet I'm willing to take with my health. Yeah. So vitamin D is that way. Magnesium is huge. And I think that's particularly important. More than 50% of people don't get enough magnesium. And, you know, we need calcium for muscle to contract and magnesium to relax. And that's why like, you know, runners and athletes and people with uh, restless legs and stuff will take magnesium supplementation, um, you know, so we're sitting in an Epsom salts bath, but, you know, why not go ahead and just make sure that you get enough through your diet. And 
you know, I'm a big fan of getting nutrition from foods. But at the end of the day, our foods just aren't the same as they were 20 years ago. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think part of like it got picked however long ago before the food was even ripe and then it's shipped and then it's sitting in the truck and then sitting on like if you can buy organic and local where you know it just got picked, like that's a whole different ballgame. But a lot of us are getting food from places where it it traveled a long way. Yes, it has traveled. And most of the, uh, you know, uh, fruits, for example, come to us from South America and you're 110% right that they pick them two or three weeks early so that they have time to be, you know, sent up here by ship or by truck, you know, and it's a, it's a huge problem. So the nutrient content's not the same. Like I, I can still remember when I was a kid, we went to Hawaii and all the pineapples were grown there. Now most of your pineapples come from Costa Rica. They don't even really have it as a major crop anymore in Hawaii. So, you know, the food supply is quite different in that regard. We also have modified the foods to be, you know, pest resistant, disease resistant and all that. So, you know, um, at the end of the day, um, the, the food also is meant to grow really quickly. When I was a kid, we had a saying that the corn would be knee high by the 4th of July. But in, in Maryland, at least, the, the corn's up picked and eaten in May, not July. So that's another piece of it. Even if the soil were exactly the same as it used to be 50 years ago, um, and there is some evidence of soil depletion from the minerals, even if it was the same, it, it really, we wouldn't be getting the same amount in our foods because it's, this, the uptake is, is, you know, it's not there long enough, it grows too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that component. Well, and then you talked about the uh, organic foods. So there's pesticides and herbicides and growth hormones. And people tell me all the time, oh, I never take an antibiotic. But unless somebody eats um, only organic beef, every time you eat meat, you know, and, uh, beef in particular, then you will find that you are consuming antibiotics because most of them are grown on feedlots, not, you know, free range, you know. So part of my challenge too, getting people to understand how nut- nutrition impacts their health, like in terms of weight and inflammation, I don't think people always realize that sad diet is often very pro-inflammatory, like just how much inflammation it's also causing. Do you want to speak on that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, um, I'll use myself again as the example, you know, um, sugar's pro-inflammatory. And so that made a big difference when I eliminated the sodas. But then, you know, I just, um, you know, like in good, um, what we would call a good elimination diet, and maybe people don't know what that is. So I should say that an elimination diet is where you remove purposefully certain foods from your selection. And then, you know, you would perhaps add them back in one at a time. Well, it's a common practice. How long would you go, like if you were going to eliminate grains or sugars, would you try to eliminate it for a good like three weeks and then slowly introduce or how long? Yeah, no, I think two to three weeks is, is fine for people to do that. Um, and they'll, they'll typically know. Remember I told you I went three months with the no gluten yes. and then really paid a price <laughs> for that reintroduction. Right. But, but, it, but it sent a very loud and clear message, right? So the longer that you go without it, then when you reintroduce it, if it's problematic, the more dramatic the response will be. Does that make sense? So you get more of a, yeah, because your immune system goes, oh, wait a minute, you know. At first, when you first eliminate it, your immune system goes, oh, wow, I feel a lot better now that Nancy's not eating bread. Whew, this, what a relief. And then, you know, week two, your immune system says, oh, I'm, this is great. Now I'm, I can calm down a little bit. I don't have to be so pro-inflammatory. I don't have to be all inflamed. I don't have to keep reminding her what, you know, bad food choices she's making. But, you know, then after three or four weeks, then, you're, then your body's really quieting down. So what happens when the things quiet down is that then people start to be able to release weight. They start to be able to exercise more because their joints stop hurting. 
So no, the things that we would normally eliminate in an elimination diet, um, and these are, it's well known, would be dairy and grains. And then the third thing is nuts, because for some people, nuts can be inflammatory. So those are kind of the three key things. And somebody listening might say, well, but what about, you know, artificial dyes and food colors and all that? I, I think those are just good things to do without generally. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, yeah. when we talk about shopping. I always say, you know, just shop the perimeter of the store. And if it doesn't have a label, you're probably good. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, tomatoes don't have a label, right? <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, apples don't have a label, you know, in general, unless they're in a bag. So like, you know, the stuff without labels is actually, you know, reasonably safe. <laughs> and, and so when people say to me, well, can you teach me to read labels? I'm like, yeah, but what, what label are we reading? <laughs> like, what, are we going to be buying like hamburger helper or, you know, or Hormel chili or what? I mean, tell me what you want to buy in a box. Because um, honestly, you know, my one friend Dee and I have a saying that if it comes from a window or a box, we probably should skip it. Yeah, it's not the best choice. Yeah. So um, anyway, we can reduce inflammation by, you know, just making better choices. And it just so happens that when you eat low glycemic foods, which are foods that don't break down quickly to sugar, and, you know, that those happen to also be anti-inflammatory. But people can, you know, look online and there you can Google and find, you know, anti-inflammatory diet and you'll get lists of fresh fruits and vegetables and you're going to see, you know, um, very limited with, or perhaps even on many lists, no grains. And then, you know, dairy, um, we could talk about that for a second. Most people don't realize that the enzymes that you need to be able to break down dairy, you stop making when you're about seven to eight years old. And that's why so very many people, you know, um, end up with like reflux. I'm sure you've seen all the stuff in the news with the cancer causing agents and some of the over-the-counter um, flux medications in the last couple of weeks, but such a common problem. And it's really all about digestive support and the fact that most people don't really actually need dairy. When I was a program leader, they used to come knock on my door and say, you know, it's the dairy council, milk, it does a body good. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are ways to get the nutrients. And one of the things people always point to is vitamin D. And, you know, people can make their own vitamin D by having their face and chest and arms exposed for 15 minutes a day. And they'll typically do just great unless they're using, you know, sunscreen and, and even SPF 15, which is a low number, blocks 95% of the light that you need to make vitamin D in your body. So, you know, like uh, makeup has it, Jorgen's lotion has SPF, everything. So the idea would be to go outside for 15 minutes with nothing and then put on whatever sunscreen, because we're not opposed to sunscreen. It's just that people always put it on inside. And then, you know, when we go out, it's not a surprise to me that 95% of Americans are, you know, low on their vitamin D intake. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that would be good to cover is just some common myths that people believe about weight loss. I don't know where, where you want to take that, but I, I do find it interesting that many patients will tell me, well, I'm, I'm eating low fat yogurt for breakfast and a piece of fruit. And then I have low fat this. And, and it's one of those like, all right, how do I, is that they still think that that is a good way to go. And I know, you know, there's lots of different ways to lose weight, but that is one that I'm like, what, what, how, how can I best answer that question? Because I'm sure someone's <laughs> thinking about it listening to this podcast. Sure. Absolutely true. So here's the thing. The whole reason that low fat diets exist is because when we talk about what we call macros or macronutrients, that's carbs, fat, and protein. And carbs and protein have four calories per gram. And fat is nine calories per gram. 
So that was how back in the whatever, seven, late 70s or 80s, people said, well, goodness, clearly if somebody's overweight, it's a, it's a calorie imbalance. So they must be eating too much fat because that's nine calories per gram. So we'll just cut back on the fat and then people will lose weight. But, you know, you can fast forward, what, 30, 40 years later, Jennifer, and clearly we have an ever-increasing obesity epidemic. So the low-fat thing, you know, uh, they did the experiment and it didn't work. <laughs> so that's that's, right. <laughs> that's one fact, right? But the rest of the story is, is that we need healthy fats. And so sometimes what happens, like vitamins A, D is in David, E as in Edward, and K are fat-soluble vitamins. And if you don't have enough fat in your diet, then you can't absorb them. And they also are essential nutrients. So, you know, people did themselves a disservice when they when they switched to that. But you and I both looked at specialty foods, right? So if they make a food low fat, what do they add? Extra sugar. And when they make a food low sugar, what do they add? extra fat. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm all about just eating the regular food and being mindful about, you know, how much you're consuming. And, you know, I would comment that the vast majority of the people who I help with weight loss are not big eaters. I'm going to say that one more time. The vast majority of people and myself included when I was, you know, before I lost the weight and I'm still not quite at my goal, but, you know, I've been able to maintain my weight loss and continue to chip away at it. Um, the the, major, the majority of people overweight are not, um, you know, big gluttonous eaters who are sitting down and, you know, pounding down whatever, two cheeseburgers and a bunch of fries and stuff. I mean, I would say if anything, a lot of the people that I work with, one of the big challenges they have is that they don't eat enough. And I'll say that one more time. Most people that, I, that I'm working with really don't eat enough. And oftentimes they'll skip a, bre- a meal and it's usually breakfast. And that really, it does sort of set the stage for the day. And I, I know that people are interested in different things like intermittent fasting and they're interested in ketogenic diets. And we can talk a little bit about those two things, but, you know, different things do work differently for different people. I think whenever you take on something, uh, like one of my buddies at USDA, his name was George, he did intermittent fasting one day on and one day off. And every time we would try to do any kind of like a holiday party or any kind of celebration or whatever at the lab, they'd be like, is it George's day to eat? It's like, it's just over time, it can become, you know, um, hard for people to stick with. So I think anything, you know, when you consider healthy avenues for weight loss, I think people should ask themselves a few questions like, are we eliminating any whole food groups? I, I don't think you ever should do that, you know, um, right. because I don't think it's sustainable for a lifetime. I, I think another question you should ask yourself, is it a calorie restricted diet? You know, many doctors uh, keep a, in their desk drawer a thousand calorie diet to hand to a patient. And that's just like the worst idea because unfortunately your body over time will see that as you being in starvation mode. And so it will hang on to every last piece of energy that you feed it. Like it will store everything for, you know, all it's got for, uh, as fat so that it can rely on it in the future. So, you know, most people will do better eating three meals a day with two snacks. And most people, you know, will do better um, not eliminating any whole food group. And it's true. When I coach somebody, a lot of times we do eliminate dairy and grains and even nuts to begin with. But it's not that they're going to do that forever. As they get closer to their goal weight, we reintroduce some grains. But we also introduce people to some like really good options like if I, I coach a lot of people from the Pacific Rim and they're like, 
what do you mean I can't have rice? I'm like, well, you know, rice is, is really pretty pro-inflammatory and it's high glycemic. Well, but what about if it's brown rice? It's still high glycemic. <laughs> so from that perspective, it will spike your blood sugar and put you in fat storage mode. And, and like, they're like, okay, well, what can I do instead? Well, I, you know, I think a lot of people do really well with the cauliflower rice and it's much more available now. So we try to just give people options, you know, that can really work for them and also give them, you know, some insights as to why what they've done in the past maybe hasn't worked. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's important because they do want to figure out what, ha- why hasn't it worked basically and what, what to do going forward. I think we're going to take a little break to hear from our sponsor. So we'll just take a little pause here and we'll be back in just a few seconds. Penrose Physical Therapy is currently offering 25% off gene snip testing and a free 15-minute consultation regarding weight loss and nutrition. In addition, we are offering a weight loss guide with recipes and the information on gene snip testing in this episode's show notes. So please check the show notes for links to those articles. To get your 25% discount on gene snip testing and your free consultation, please contact info at penrosept.com. That's I-N-F-O at PinrosePT.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we are back from our little break. And I kind of want to just keep going with a little bit on the weight loss. Um, Can we comment a little bit on the, the keto versus paleo diets? Like, why does it work? you know, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, like it's successful for some people and then some it's not. Is there, is there some insight you could give some of our listeners as to why, you know, they, they probably have a friend that they know that that worked really well for, but yet it didn't work for them. Sure. Yeah. So when we talk about paleo and keto, so let's just define it a little bit for the listeners. So a paleo diet is a diet without grains, and so, you know, that means no quinoa and no buckwheat in addition to no rice and, and you know, no wheat. So um, the reason that that will work for many people is because, as I mentioned earlier, grains can be pro-inflammatory. One of the things that many people don't appreciate is like, what are we allergic to in the grain? Well, different people are allergic to different parts. But in general, as a general rule, I would say the vast majority of people have an intolerance to the protein in the grain. So for me, with the gluten or gliadin, you know, that's, that's what I can't tolerate. So somebody who's celiac, for example, can't have a wheat, rye, barley, and it's also a contaminant in oats. It's not inherent in oats. So you can get gluten-free oats, but because they use the same machinery to process it, you sometimes have challenges. So, you know, sometimes people, Jennifer, just don't even think about what they're consuming that could be a problem. So let's use the, the gluten thing as an example. You're, somebody's drinking beer. Well, most of the beer has barley in it. And so as a result, that's a problem. And then, you know, I'll go to a restaurant. There's a really nice restaurant at our, near our beach house and they'll serve soup and they'll be like, oh, you can't have it because it's got, you know, whiskey in it. Well, and whiskey comes, you know, from barley malt, but it's distilled. So there is no protein in it. They just don't know. <laughs> so the beer is a problem for people. And, but, you know, if I were to say to somebody, do you consume grains? They'd be like, nope, I don't ever have bread. Nope, I don't ever have cereal. I don't eat any crackers or anything. But they could just be drinking beer and that would be the issue. So that's one example of, you know, helping somebody ferret out a problem. But you asked specifically about keto in addition to the paleo issue. And so keto 
is a different definition. Some people will say as many as 50 grams of net carbs a day, and others say less than 20 or 25. So let's tell your listeners what a net carb is first. So when you look on a food label, there's what they call the total carbs. And then underneath it, it shows the fiber. Well, to calculate a net carb, we take the total carbs, we subtract the fiber. If it lists sugar alcohols, we get to subtract those. And if it lists glycerin, we get to subtract that too. And what's left is what we call the net or impact carbs. Those are the ones that are going to affect your blood sugar. So, you know, a strict keto diet was going to consist mostly of, you know, clean protein. So maybe like, you know, shrimp or fish or eggs or, you know, uh, grass-fed beef, you know, green vegetables, asparagus, broccoli, green beans, you know, mixed greens in a salad, that kind of thing. So that's the kind of food people are consuming. What happens when you eliminate those other things though, right? Is that just like I did, even if you aren't totally intolerant, a lot of times when people reintroduce those things, it leads to an inflammatory response in their body. So a lot of times people will not only regain the weight that they lost, but they'll have like a, what we call a rebound reaction. And sometimes they can even regain more. So only certain people's bodies are going to really respond well. And, you know, I'm sure you've met somebody who's lost a ton of weight using some particular method, whether it was keto or paleo, or maybe they had the sauerkraut diet, or they wore a spacesuit and hooked it up to their vacuum. I don't know. But, you know, people lose weight. <laughs> we, people can lose weight a bunch of different ways. So the question I always ask is, can they lose it and keep it off? Because every time we gain and lose, gain and lose, it slows your metabolism about 20%. So it's better if you're not in a position to maintain the weight loss, it's honestly better not to really address it at that moment. Maybe, you know, wait until you're really ready to make a permanent change. And I just would like to reassure your listeners if they've been working on their weight or trying to get better with their exercise or go to bed early or whatever change, it usually takes six to eight tries for somebody to make a permanent lifestyle change. So, you know, we can't beat ourselves up, right? Exactly. I mean, think about that. Or if somebody's trying to limit their alcohol consumption or, you know, whatever change we want to make, it's, it takes a while to create a habit. And so, you know, some of the research says that it takes as long as 12 weeks of consistent follow through. That would be, you know, three months, 90 days. So that's, that's why I think people get frustrated. But, you know, you can lose weight with keto or intermittent fasting or paleo or, you know, the thing I like best is that the TLS program that you and I talk a lot about, you can do any of those things within the constraints of that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good time for me to just mention to the listeners, um, I will have a link in the show notes for if you want to, you fill out this basically survey that asks some questions about weight loss and it'll give you um, menu plans. It'll help you figure out um, kind of a plan and recipes for free. And it's, it's the TLS um, um, that we've been referring to and it's self-directed, but there's free resources there. So I'll include that in the show notes for you guys to um, be able to go and look through that. And it's, it's interesting. I, I took it and then I changed just sort of my answers a few times just to see yeah. how it would change the menu plan and what it recommended. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility in there, but it, it basically what it boiled down to is just a lot of clean eating is what I call it. Staying in the perimeter right, exactly. <laughs> of, the, of the grocery store. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I think, Oh, sorry. One of the things I think is very cool is that that particular weight loss profile was developed by computer specialists and nutritionists 
and dietitians, along with health professionals. And it's designed to match up the recommendations to an individual's personality, to their lifestyle, to their goals and their commitment level. Because, you know, you or I could, you know, we have enough knowledge that we could give somebody a very limited dietary recommendation plan and they could follow it and lose weight. That's not the question. The question is, is it sustainable for them? The question is, if you eat out four times a week, can they still lose weight? And I want to reassure your listeners that, yes, you can dine out and lose weight. You know, yes, you can travel and lose weight. And no, no, you shouldn't wait until like the perfect time. You might be thinking, okay, and here's why you don't want to wait for the perfect time of the year, Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer, I would definitely start on my weight loss program now, but you know, pretty soon it's going to be Columbus Day next Monday. Oh, right. And then after that, I won't be able to start because it's going to be Halloween. Oh, and, and then I can't start after that because it's going to be Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, and, and it just goes on and on, right? And so like we're laughing about it, but you know, people are either looking for a reason to move forward or an excuse not to. And so I feel like if you give somebody healthy lifestyle information that they can incorporate in, we all know that not one meal or one day is going to completely derail our efforts, right? Right. So, I mean, so just do the best that you can moving forward because the sooner that we take action, the sooner we're going to get to the results that we want. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's that's all good. What about touching on in terms of Recovery after surgery, some of my patients, I feel like they don't feel like eating after having anesthesia. They don't feel like themselves. They're not moving around as much, so they don't want to eat as much. And just getting enough, maybe we can talk about how much protein they should be getting and even just a regular person. Um, any of those kinds of concepts I think would be helpful to my listeners. Sure. So, I mean, the National Academy of Sports Medicine actually has an equation out there and um, perhaps, you know, Jennifer, you can include that for your listeners. Um, but the, the, the bottom yeah. line is, is that you can take your weight and you can adjust it into kilograms and your guys are all like, oh my goodness, how do we do that? So if somebody weighed 180 pounds, they would divide by 2.2 to get their weight in kilograms, which would be 81. And then the um, calculation of how many grams of protein to eat per day, you multiply that kilograms by a factor, depending on if you're, you know, not active, average active, or very active. So if you're an average active adult, then you would multiply by 1.3. So that 180 pound person would require 106 grams of protein. Now, one of the things that confuses people is they're like, but we eat four ounces of protein, not grams. And how do we convert that? Do we, no, you have to just kind of Google it online and say four ounces of chicken, grams of protein, one large egg, grams of protein, and it'll tell you, or you can use one of the free fitness apps that are out there, you know, like my fitness pal, and you can total it up for a day. Um, But I think it's good for people to know that. And you make a really good point. I think everybody's tendency, you know, especially after surgery, if they don't feel well with the anesthesia is they, you know, they want to kind of like hang back. They also know they're more sedentary, so they don't want to eat quote unquote too much. But you know, that's where like a a high quality protein shake could be a real advantage for people or a protein bar, because, you know, you do need that not only for, you know, uh, for bone health, uh, but also for our muscle health and for repair. And then, you know, nutritionally post-surgery, anything that you do to reduce inflammation is good. You need a certain amount of inflammation. That's part of the healing process, but you can quiet down the excessive inflammation people generally will heal better. And you can do that, you know, with, you know, omega-3s, you can do that with, um, you know, our uh, OPC product. You can do that with bromelain, which is a systemic enzyme from the pineapple. There's just several different things you can do 
that can be really helpful, you know, but you're right. You people do want to be mindful of their nutrition after an injury or after an accident or after surgery, anything that disrupts, you know, somebody's system. When you say high quality protein shake, what, what should people look for and what should they stay away from? <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't know every brand of shake out there. Different people like different sure. things. So, you know, one thing that's quite popular is to say, oh, well, you know, gee, Nancy, you just said that dairy can be pro-inflammatory. Maybe we shouldn't use a shake that contains any, you know, any dairy. Well, you know, dairy, <laughs> there's dairy and then there's dairy. So if somebody's having a very clean whey protein shake, um, that can still be very good and not pro-inflammatory. So, you know, I think a shake with, you know, 19 to 21 grams of protein is good. Some shakes are designed, they have no extra added fat, fiber, or protein. And those are really all just about building muscle or repairing muscle. So those are the shakes that I like to use after a workout because all the all of it is going to go towards building the muscle. But I also like nutrition shakes, which contain added vitamins and minerals and fat and fiber, because that can serve as sort of like a meal replacement. So, you know, they're just two different goals. And then some people really like the plant-based shakes. Um, they feel like that's an advantage. There's just no way to pack in the same amount of in terms of grams of protein per, you know, scoop as you can with a, a whey protein shake. Uh, but you, most most of the them will make a combination of like rice protein and pea protein. And neither of those are what we call complete proteins on their own, but when you mix them together, you make a complete protein. So, you know, that can be okay. But I see shakes out there, Jennifer, that are, you know, eight or 10 grams of protein per serving. They don't taste good. They've got a lot of different artificial stuff in them. I would, you know, I don't think that's probably what somebody's, you know, going to benefit most from. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful. And then I guess the other thing to kind of touch on a little bit too, is just, we, we mentioned a little bit about the gene SNP testing and just how that's available and what that can do for, for people trying to be more specific and target their, their health. Do you want to kind of explain that a little bit more? Sure. So, you know, um, we have a gene SNP test that looks at a large number of what we call single nucleotide polymorphisms. That's what SNP stands for. And, you know, I think a lot of people feel like, well, gee, you know, um, why should I bother to do the test? Because, um, you know, I, I can uh, do, say, Ancestry or 23andMe or whatever and get some data. But those tests are a couple things about them. One is that they're not designed for clinical applications. And right at the top of their data set, you know, because I've downloaded many data sets from them to try to help people with their genetic stuff. And, you know, it says right there, it's not to be used for that. Um, Two, I mean, they, they've got some interesting things. Like they'll tell you if you, you know, might have a unibrow or if your urine will smell bad if you eat asparagus. But I mean, what we're more interested in looking at are things which are going to really make a difference in terms of somebody being able to make a difference in their health. So the genes that we look at, there's 48 individual SNPs uh, and that we, that we report on. And we look at things, uh, they've all got names. So we're looking at things like the never full gene, the cholesterol gene, the ADHD gene, the worrier or warrior gene. And that really has to do all with how somebody manages stress. Do they internalize it or are they, you know, uh, become aggressive under stress or um, how does it work? There's the brain aging gene, uh, serotonin gene. Some people, you know, their mood is definitely affected. Um, a low carb gene. Um, we look at the lactase genes. It talks about your ability to process dairy. What if, Jennifer, a young mom 
could have her child tested. And this test is, can be done even on infants because it's just a cheek swab and it's all approved for testing with children. What if a young mom could know, for example, that her child didn't tolerate dairy well? Wouldn't that be a nice thing to know early on instead of letting somebody like myself get older and then like, like in my 40s till I could find out that I was celiac? You know, it's just, I feel like, you know, people being able to know, would, it would be an advantage. I think another good thing about the test is that we look at like kind of eight areas of health. So um, a big part of your energy and your metabolism relates to B vitamins and how your body uses them. Um, we look at what we call auto, the gut guard um, area, which is autoimmune support. People don't realize it, but your ability to fight off infections and immune stuff has mostly to do with your gut. We look at your ability to detoxify. And if you're really prone to inflammation, I'm sure you know many of your patients have inflammatory processes going on, right? Absolutely. And yeah. so we look at adrenal support and stress and mental health and then weight loss and then heart health. And so people get back a score in kind of each of those eight areas of health. And then, you know, they can choose to work on whatever they like. You know, sometimes somebody's highest score, for example, might be in the weight loss, but yet the next highest score is stress and mental health and they want to work there first. That's fine. And when you look at the genes, some of them are common to both of those areas of health. So we have a lot of different strategies to be able to help people to get that laser approach so that they can start to make significant progress. You know, and a large, you know, number of the SNPs do relate to weight loss, but there's so much more there, as you can hear, you know, what if somebody doesn't detoxify well, wouldn't it be good to know that? Because some people that don't detoxify well, maybe their challenges is that they like to have, you know, a few drinks on a weekend, but because they don't toxify, detoxify well, that affects their overall health. Well, there are things we can do to support that nutritionally doesn't mean necessarily that they can't have their beer. It just may mean that they have to do a couple of extra things to be able to, you know, enhance the elimination from their system. So those are the kinds of things we can do. And you, you know that we've seen some amazing results. I'll just give a one quick example um, of a dear friend was telling me that she was, you know, taking antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And I had given her some B vitamins. Uh, our B complex contains special forms of you know, the, the B vitamins called methylated Bs. And she felt better right away. And I said, you know, I bet you don't methylate your B vitamins. And she said, really? And so when we introduced the, the genetic testing, she had the test done. And sure enough, she does not. Think about all the people out there, Jennifer, who are trying to lose weight. And what if that is their challenge, that they don't methylate the Bs? Well, if they don't end up knowing that, then they don't, they don't understand why their, their response or their choices or their you know weight loss efforts are slow. What if that person doesn't tolerate the dairy? What if that person, you know, has a a problem with their vitamin D metabolism? We look at three different genes related to vitamin D. What if the person heard their real issue with weight loss is honestly sleep? Well, that would also come out in the test because there are not only recommendations for nutritional support with the gene snip test, but lifestyle choices looking at exercise? Should it be endurance? Should it be weight bearing? Should it be high intensity interval training? What should it be? And then also, you know, the importance of hydration and then sleep as well. So I th I'm pretty excited about it. What did you think about it when you saw some test results? No, I thought it was very good. I mean, it definitely, I had several of the vitamin D markers and then my blood work came back where my vitamin D was low. And so 
I definitely had to take more than what I was, what I was doing. So it definitely helped me in terms of figuring out something more um, specific and I'm being more consistent with it. I think sometimes when you supplement, sometimes you, you may be consistent for a little while. And then if you run out or just get lazy or whatever, you don't, you know, but I know I can't, like, I feel better with it. And I have the knowledge of knowing like, this is an issue for me. I have to stay, you know. And I, I would just echo what you just said and say that one of the most important things that I've found working with people with the genetic testing is that they, once they see their results, I've, I haven't had anybody that said to me, wow, what a big surprise. Most people are like, yeah, I kind of knew that that could be a problem. In fact, most people are sort of like relieved because it's something like at some level they knew. And now not only are we telling them, well, this could be a challenge, but we're telling them exactly what they need to do to be able to offset that challenge. So, you know, we're not just telling them what to do, we're telling them why. And my under my experience with that is that because people are much more compliant, like you're saying, because they know that there's like a legitimate reason why they need to do this. <laughs> they also understand like, oh, wow, that's why I'm always hungry. Or that's why, you know, I love the taste of sweets. You know, like they understand that there's a physiological, you know, underlying component for it based on their genetics. And um, I'm super excited about that because I do feel like that laser approach is sort of the, the future of, you know, providing the optimum suggestions for healthcare, don't you? Yes, I do. I definitely think it is. And I will have a link in my show notes as well to a video on what the gene SNP testing is about. So definitely for those of you listening, go to the show notes to get that, that link as well. The other thing that I wanted to kind of just wrap up with Nancy is like, just with all your experience, like what, I don't know if you can nail it down to, to the number one thing, but what is the number one thing you've told people um, to optimize their health and wellness so they can stay out of their the doctor's offices and enjoy their retirement. Like that's something I think you're, I mean, that's partly what this podcast is all about is I'm trying to just help people feel better to live the way they want to. What, what, what do you think would be your number one advice or maybe, maybe you have to say more than one thing. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, if I had to call it just one thing, I would say, focus on a healthy lifestyle because, you know, I, I believe that people can get a lot from their food. You know, we've touched on several things today, you know, eat local, eat organic. Um, that's, those are, those are really good things to do. Um, I think sensible supplementation makes is, is really critically important for people uh, because despite our best efforts, most of us do not eat a hundred percent organic all the time with, without exception. I mean, we're traveling, we're doing other things. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, sensible supplementation is a really inexpensive insurance policy, in my opinion, Jennifer. I mean, there are a lot of nutritional experts out there, people from Tufts, you know, vitamin D experts like Michael Hollick. There's, you know, there's a, the Harvard has a, a food pyramid that, that they've put out with, you know, recommendations. And, you know, at the end of the day, almost all nutritional experts agree that a multivitamin is a foundation for health. And, you know, if I were to talk about five key products, I would think, you know, a multivitamin, a B-complex, calcium as indicated, and a potent antioxidant, and an omega. Those are like things that people should take the time to learn a little bit about. And, you know, I think a lot of challenges that people face with weight and with inflammation and pain management and recovery from surgery and all the different things we've talked about today can be, you know, uh, aided by a healthy lifestyle with, you know, healthy eating, focusing on 
like we said, clean protein, eggs, chicken, fish, seafood, grass-fed beef, and lots of vegetables. I mean, we recommend, you know, six to 12 servings of vegetables a day. And, you know, if you think about that, uh, the nutritional profile of our foods, when you eat something that's, you know, a green leafy vegetable, it takes a lot to fill you up, right? But when you do eat a lot to fill you up that way, then you're getting a lot more nutrition than if you ate a, you know, a hostess ho-ho or Twinkie or whatever they are that, you know, that are good for 50 years because <laughs> of all the preservatives. So anyway, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't narrow it down to just one thing, but I, I would have to go with healthy lifestyle. And, and you know, that, that means sleep and exercise and hydration well along with the food and sensible supplementation. Yeah. And speaking of supplementation, I guess, you know, I didn't really hit on this too much on the podcast, but mm-hmm. Nutrametrics products, we should talk a little bit how they're designed differently and just kind of the science behind that. Let's touch on that for a few minutes, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. So when I worked at USDA, my research focused on absorption and bioavailability. So I think when most people take, you know, a supplement, they think of a pill or a tablet or perhaps a capsule. And so, you know, that's certainly any supplementation is better than none. But when you make a pill or a tablet, they've got binders and fillers and what they call coatings and something called excipients. So those things are added just because they need some way to compact it all together into something that they can deliver to the patient. When, when we use an isotonic formulation, it's a powder that you mix with water and drink. And I think the huge advantage there is that you have the potential for 90 to 95% absorption in less than 10 minutes. When somebody takes a pill or a tablet, it usually takes 40 minutes to two to three hours to break down. And some nurses, you know, um, when they have to work with patients using a bedpan will say, they, they, they just say, well, like those people are taking bedpan bullets because some uh, multivitamins and lesser quality products out there just don't break down at all. They completely pass through the body undigested. So, you know, I think many companies have access to great ingredients and there's some really good formulations out there. But what's particularly unique about Nutrametrics, in my opinion, is the isotonics delivery system. Um, I think another unique thing is the fact that they use scientifically based, clinically proven ingredients. And a third thing is, I think, this amazing gene snip testing. So I think, you know, that's and I think that's why health forward thinking health professionals such as yourself are willing to incorporate it into your practice because it's something that's above and beyond. I mean, it's not what you're going to go buy at Super Galactic Vitamin World, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the powder with the water makes it so much easier to drink. There's a lot of people who don't really want to swallow a bunch of pills. It's just it's just hard to do. Um, so it definitely makes it easier to take. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, some things are in a gel cap, like an omega. You can't really put that into an isotonic formulation. So we do have some capsules or tablets, but the vast majority of things can be made into an isotonic. And the nice thing I think too about that, Jennifer, is they can be mixed together. So if I were taking a multivitamin and say B-complex, I can mix those two things together and drink it. And most of the things have kind of a, what I would say, a fruity effervescent kind of you know, feel. And the other good news is for people, if they want to try it, is that if you don't like that, you can completely drink it with a straw and your taste buds are in the front of your mouth and at the front of your tongue, basically. And so you can drink it down and never even taste it with a straw. So you have a lot of options for people. But I think the the more rapid and more complete absorption is really huge. And I do have, uh, just for our listeners to know as well, I do have some free samples if people did want to try them and wanted to come by the clinic to pick up some some free samples to see if their stomach would tolerate it just as a as a way to just see, because 
you don't really want to necessarily, I, I get with supplements that it's hard to buy a whole, you know, bottle of something and not know how you're going to react to it. Well, the one thing I would say is that the the vast majority of people will have no trouble with uh, the isotonics just simply because of the fact that if somebody did take it, for example, and they had a little bit of indigestion or upset or whatever, one of the great things is that we can simply cut the dose in half the next day and go for a couple of days at a lesser dose and then come back up. You don't have that same option with pills or tablets or certainly not with capsules, which you, can, you, know, you can't really open them up. So that's, that's a really good thing. And I think another important thing for them, you know, your listeners to know is that everything, you know, it's all pH balanced and stuff very seldom does it cause any kind of irritation or upset for people. And if they're taking, for example, a multi with iron, um, we use a particular, you know, uh, company that's, it's called Sun Active Iron, which is, it's just really absorbable. It's not like metallic tasting and it doesn't give you, you know, constipation or challenges. So like, I, I think, I think it's worth people taking the time to learn a little bit more about these and not, not assume that they're going to, these products will be <laughs> behave the same way as, you know, pills or tablets, right. you know, that they might've tried right. in the past. Right. Well, good. Well, thanks so much, Nancy, for joining me on the podcast and helping us kind of navigate through some things on nutrition, weight loss and inflammation and, um, the gene snip and the supplements. I think that gives a lot of, a lot of good information for, for my listeners. So thanks so much for joining us. Well, and thank you for having me. And, you know, Jennifer, I just want to compliment you again. I mean, your listeners are very fortunate to have access to your expertise. I know that you're very well respected with what you do in, in your field of physical therapy, but uh, I, I, I know you now better uh, uh, over the last year or so. And I, I really appreciate your commitment to the totality of the health of your patients because you know, there really aren't any fences in the body, right? So it's all kind of interconnected and people so often don't see or understand what an important role that nutrition plays as a foundation. And it, it really can, they can, it can help them with, with all different aspects of health. So thank you for, you know, for having me and for your commitment to educating your patients. Great. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you for listening to the Stay Healthy South Sound podcast brought to you by Penrose and Associates Physical Therapy. If you want some free tips to implement right away on various problems like knee pain, back pain, running injuries, and many more issues, then jump on over to PenrosePT.com and download the free report that fits your needs. You will receive helpful tips right away and have the choice to email in for further questions and set up a free phone consultation. You can reach us at 360-456-1444 and info at PenrosePT.com. You can stay connected with us at StayHealthySouthSound.com and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Stay Healthy South Sound podcast.